Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. We have on the show today, Angela Lucas. Now, Angela has been on the show before. And as you know, she is definitely an expert when it comes to what we are seeing in the regulatory environment and the banking industry on the cannabis world. And there's a lot happening in the cannabis world. She had two previous podcasts that she did with us where we discussed really the history and what was going on in the banking world and what's going on in the regulatory world as far as things like the Farm Act, what's you know the difference between cannabis? Uh, there's all these terminologies where there's flowers and there's candies and lollipops. It's it's really crazy. But I wanted to bring her back because I wanted to be able to let her talk more and have a discussion on the true banking side of what is happening in cannabis. So Angela, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. And glad to have you. Now, one of the things that keeps coming up for me is, you know, I read these horror stories, uh, you know, and I've been subscribing to some blogs, I've been subscribing even to Sterling Compliance and getting your newsletter, and I'm reading through these stories, and I hear all these issues with there's a large amount of cash that is still being used. How or where or what is going wrong that we're keeping everybody cash-based? I mean, is there a simple solution for this? It's simple. I don't know if it's simple, but there is a solution uh, that I think that we can all come together to figure out. Um, So there's two sides of the cash uh, primarily that we're looking at. So first, whenever we have these state legal entities that are licensed and trying to get up and running, they have a lot of cash that they're raising on the front end of things um, so that they can build their facilities, put together their infrastructure and all of that. And so There's different investors that are part of that. And so we have this big amount of cash. Now, there are some financial institutions out there that are okay uh, sort of doing the capital raise piece for these businesses. So they'll say, listen, we'll take your cash and your your funds while you're building the capital to do what you want to do. But the minute you start transacting as a marijuana related business or an MRB, uh, we are no longer going to have the account at our institution. So some of them will do that. Some of them won't. Um, But it's all about at that point, trying to figure out the source of those funds, making sure the sources of those funds are legitimate, that they are going towards, um, you know, the, production of the infrastructure or the facility, um, that there aren't any bad actors on the other side of those funds. Um, but they're really the just other- banking them to the point of, hey, let's help you build the business. We'll maybe even give you loans, whatever it is, but they only get them to the point of being able to do business. But once they start doing business, you're cut off, you're done. Right. So you actually made a really good point there. A lot of these, I don't know anybody in the country that's actually lending to a marijuana related business, even on the capital raise side of things. So, Mm. you know, we visited a facility, um, can't tell you where it was, but we visited a facility uh, that, you know, was probably half a billion dollars to construct. And it was all in cash that they raised prior to, they didn't have any sort of financing that went into that. Um, So there's a lot of, a lot of cash out there. Um, the other side of it though, is once they are up and running, they're primarily only using cash because there's not a lot of financial institutions, whether it be banks or credit 
unions out there that are willing to give them a bank account, just a simple bank account to have a debit card and do deposits and withdrawals. So that can be very challenging for them. Um, and so, you know, the thing that we're trying to tackle is can we offer banking services? Can our financial institutions that are federally regulated offer simple banking services so that we're pulling this cash off the streets because it creates security concerns both for the people that work in these facilities as well as the neighborhoods around them because, you know, where there's a lot of cash, uh, there tends to be a lot of crime if it's not well controlled or well um you know, we don't have safeguards around it. So we want to make sure that whatever legislation is put forth takes into account how we deal with the cash, the sources of the funds, and just allow these financial institutions to have safe harbor from any sort of federal scrutiny, um, still given that marijuana is illegal on the federal controlled substances list. Well, okay, I know one of the issues that I, I've been trying to figure out and a lot of people even ask about is how do you avoid cash at the point of sale? Is there a way to, I mean, are cards allowed? Are they allowed to go in and make card purchases at, in these depositories or whatever? And I have to admit, you know, I am uh, new to some of that. I have not been into any of those locations, even though I've been to states where it is legal, I'm going to have to probably make a road trip at some point. But I've been told that they're all cash-based. Is there a way to have an electronic option more at the point of sale? Some of them are, uh, in some of them you can use cards, but in certain ways. Um, so here's how some of the ways that they're using them is a lot of the dispensaries will have um, ATMs on-premise. Um, they could be standard ATMs. They may not be, but essentially you put your bank card in, you get your... Uh, you get your cash out and you go use your cash. Some of them are cashless ATMs where you basically put your card in to do a withdrawal, but it actually comes across to your bank as an ACH transaction. Um, and so you don't get cash out of that ATM. You actually get a little receipt that go that you can present then to the bud tender or whoever's in charge of the dispensary. Um, and they will, you then have basically, it shows that you have like, let's just say $60 in credits. Um, which you use there, but it's not really credit. It's just a $60 ACH out of your account. So it's not showing up as um, a, with, a cash withdrawal at that point. So they're avoiding the cash there. Um, and in some cases, and this is more on the, um, the side of things that we don't want to have happen, is some of these merchants are masking the codes, the transaction codes on their card machines so that they don't look like they're coming from a marijuana related business. Now that in and of itself would be considered money laundering. So that's what we don't want to have. Um, but so we don't want to have a lot of these businesses go down the route of, I don't want to have all this cash and I don't want to pay for all of the security. Um, so I'm just going to mask the, the transaction codes. We definitely don't want that. Um, so we could have, you know, payment processors that could come out and start doing some, um, processing of the transactions. And I don't know if you saw this, this was a press release was released the other day. Um, colleagues of ours in the industry have started um, called Greenlight Payments. Mm -hmm. And Greenlight has partnered with Metropolitan Bank out of New York, and they are going to be the first uh, CBD and hemp payment processor um, in the country. So it's going to be a big, uh, really big endeavor. Um, it's exciting for green light. Um, but there are other, you know, there's other ways that we can kind of move towards getting the cash off the street. 
Well, okay, here, I, I want to go back a little bit on the ATMs, the cashless ATMs. Mm -hmm. <coughs> yeah, that's well timed. Okay, on the cashless ATMs, I know, for example, that some sporting centers, uh, the stadium in Atlanta, the new stadium in Atlanta, they're trying to be cash. What they do is they do something similar. You can go in there and I, well, you can take your cash or you can take your credit or debit card and you can load it up a card there on the premises that that card is then good to use anywhere around the stadium. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's done actually during with ACH. So when you mention it being with ACH, you know, it says he gives a receipt that you're going to have X amount of dollars. My concern with that is, is a lot of ACH experts are going to say, well, ACH is instantaneous. ACH is batched. It's going to be processed mm -hmm. later. And you may not know if the funds are there for a few days. I mean, that's a risk even like Target takes with their Target uh, debit card, which is really an ACH point of sale card. Um, right. Any insight on that? Is that what they're actually choosing to do is to take the risk and because, you know, take the risk, and, but yet give them the option to be able to get rid of the cash? I think so. I think it's sort of a cost benefit that they have to kind of take into consideration. You know, more often than not, we don't see the cashless ATMs a lot, um, but they are an option for them. But I think more often you're going to see the tri the traditional ATMs where they can get the cash out. But again, yeah, that's a risk that they would have to factor into um, the cashless using the cashless ATMs. Now they can sort of. Um, I don't want to say mitigate it, but, but sort of build up a cost structure on the other side of it where, okay, so maybe there's a fee associated with it. Same thing like using any other ATM, there's a fee associated with it. So maybe those fees that they get um, sort of cover, cover the cost of, you know, any sort of bad uh, transactions that go through there. That could be something that they kind of take a look at, but you know, it's, it's a real problem. And, you know, it's not like they're looking for crazy cash management at this point. Um, a lot of them just need a bank account because if you think back, it's not just the dispensaries, it's going to be your cultivators and your processors as well, because they may not need a debit card for what they do, but they have to pay their people somehow and they have to pay their vendors somehow. And so uh, their people and their vendors are being paid, um, you know, through cash. And so then that creates an issue for their employees because will their employees actually, um, you know, be okay getting a loan or getting a, a bank account whenever they're paid solely in cash? That's another issue that they also have to deal with. Well, I wonder too, because, you know, trying to again, solve this riddle, let's get, let's get the cash off the street. We know no matter what, wherever there's a large amount of cash, there's a large chance for crime to take place. It's not hard to find documented cases either. I, I was able to do that in a quick Google search. Right. So I wonder in the case of where, like you were saying, paying vendors. Well, paying vendors, that's supposed to be something that the banking industry businesses pay other businesses. Right. Because it is reoccurring, do you think they'd be willing to go through a process of signing up to be part of some type of program? going through maybe a verification process to be some type of program that would allow them to be able to do electronic payments, even though it can't be done, I assume, through cards because you mentioned the masking. So I'd say that's more like evading the rules. Right, exactly. So uh, what we're seeing is the financial institutions that are doing this, it's more about, listen, we will offer you these abilities to pay your people, pay by check, you know, and kind of go through that 
through that process, through that, that traditional process, um, you know, on their end of things, they're them being the banks, um, they need to make sure that they have a good uh, risk control structure in place in order to do this. And so if they have that, um, they have been successful in providing bank accounts and allowing businesses to pay businesses. Um, and then in the industry, we're also seeing movement to kind of um, almost set up profiles for marijuana related businesses and those that do business with them. So like if you are a marijuana related business, like a dispensary or a cultivator, you can go on and you create this profile and you kind of uh, put information in there about what you offer, how you offer it. I don't, um, some go more in depth in terms of transactions and things like that. Um, but then the vendors go in there and they can also do that. And the banks can actually go in and it's designed for them to kind of take a look at the business. This is a good risk that they want to get into almost like a better business bureau for the MRBs. This is what we're seeing being created um, in the industry. So banks can take a look and then the MRBs can also take a look because one thing that we um, kind of put forth at the marijuana banking summit we had here in Pittsburgh is it's not one-sided. So, you know, the banks are saying over here, well, we don't want to bank you because you're an MRB, but those that, you know, the businesses that need these accounts need to have stability. So when they look at the bank, they also need to take a look at that bank's infrastructure to make sure that they have what, what they need in place so that, you know, two months down the road when their examiners come in and find issues, that bank's not going to kick them out. Um, so both sides need to look for stability and need to do their due diligence on one another. And some of these industry platforms are helping them or designed to help them do that. Wow. Well, you know, I, again, I think that the first part is getting the business to business type payments, but then that still leads us to, to where we're going to have the consumer and the consumer making the purchase. How is that one going to be electronic? Because some of the things that I read say that they're looking at this being a 25 to 30 billion dollar a year industry by 2025. And that's just right around the corner. So right. I know the bankers that are listening to this have got to be going, how do we get involved in that? Because the banking industry in some areas is struggling. And to me, this is, you know, cannabis is going to help you grow your accounts and grow your investments. And, uh, I, and you know, sorry for the puns, but it's true. So one issue is solving it on the side of the businesses, but how's the point of sale get solved? Is that going to take law change or is there going to be somebody who gets creative with some type of app that will allow it to happen? <laughs> well, I think it's going to have to be both. Um, I think, well, as I mentioned, I think Greenlight's going to be a nice little um, case study in how this works. Um, I will say, I don't know if you saw, but next week they actually called um, a hearing hear more about the cannabis banking side of things uh, in Wilmington. And so they're going to do a panel discussion down there and, and try to learn more about this. So, um, you know, they're moving forward next week with that hearing. I think in two weeks they're doing another hearing on the hemp side of things. And the FDA just came out to talk about expediting rules on CBD. So everybody's sort of looking, this is moving, moving forward. So I think we're going to have to see a lot of change on the legislative side of things before we can actually pull the cash off the street. So right now, uh, I think I think making everything electronic payments is sort of uh, further down the road. Right now, we're just trying to give them simple traditional bank accounts where they can do deposits and withdrawals and write checks. 
Um, so that's really where we're trying to move them. And it seems a little bit archaic that we even talk about that. Um, it's something we all take for granted, but that's all they're really looking for at this point. Well, you know, that's crazy to me too, because one of the things I, I first think of is risk and payments. And I love checks, don't get me wrong. And I don't think checks are going to go away anytime soon, but I know they're used primarily for business to business. And maybe it does help on the business side. But if we get back to the consumer side, I'm not so sure I want to take a check from somebody making this type of purchase. Because unfortunately, there is still the, uh, what's the word, the shadow, the taboo that goes along with it, that, hey, you're buying drugs, you know, and making that purchase and the concern of, you know, is your check going to be good? I mean, that's my whole point with the ACH cards and the ACH method. Is this transaction going to be good? Well, I know. And if there is a way to have an automatic right then and there guarantee, I know, I mean, not just in the cannabis industry, every industry wants that to know I've got my money and I don't have to worry about a risk of it will be gone or I'll lose it. I know it's, you know what, it's one of those things where we, if I had a crystal ball, I would be a millionaire right now. Um, right. See what, what's going to come down the pike. Um, but that's really what we're looking forward. So I think, you know, Right now, I think we need to see a lot of people sort of put forth effort to make their voices heard and write the narrative for cannabis banking because, you know, whether it is, you know, giving the bank accounts or making the payments electronic and bringing that cash off the streets, um, just making it more acceptable because it's not a matter of if this happens, it's a matter of when. Um, so, you know, it's about going back to, you know, as you mentioned, where people have this connotation that's brought up whenever you think about cannabis and marijuana and things like that. It's yeah. about education and it's about really understanding that, um, you know, this is something that medical facilities are looking at as helping people, you know, it's helping them not be addicted to opioids. You know, it's an alternative to uh, prescribing all of these pills that people are taking. Um, you know, whenever you talk to the medical facilities that are using the cannabis, it's amazing to see some of the, the trials that they've been doing and the results that they've been getting on this, especially with, you know, elderly individuals and kids and people that have cancer and, you know, seizure disorders and things like that. Um, so I think it has to become more mainstream to, have the conversation, talk about it. But again, and I think you and I talked about this before, there's a lot of big forces pushing back against this. Because if you think about it, everything that can be done with oil can be done with hemp. Uh, mm -hmm. Big oil is a big thing. Um, you know, we have the pharmaceutical industry. Or I don't know that they're embracing this with warm, warm, warm cuddles these days. But um, there's a lot of big forces that are pushing back against it. Um, and then we have the taboo from, you know, where we've come to where we are. So there's a lot of moving pieces that kind of have to align before we can get to electronic payments, unfortunately. Well, I got to agree. And I got to say, since, you know, first having you on the show, uh, you put me in contact with some people. I started talking to them. I started doing a lot of research on my own because I wanted to, you know, check and verify, is this really happening? And I am finding more and more that it is more than just, you know, let's, you know, for lack of a better word, just your average pothead that people think is out there. There's so much more that is available and being used out there. And I, I found uh, tons of stuff to be able to back the medical side. And then the uses for hemp are, yeah, I mean, it's off the chart. It, it was astronomical. And I was really surprised by doing that research. 
Now, something else, though, you, you pointed out is, I mean, at the time of our recording, we've got Congress going and talking, and I believe it's the Safe Banking Act is what they're going to be talking about. Is that correct? I believe that's going to be the whole premise of their discussion, yes. Um, is there anything more maybe you could tell us about what you think will happen with the Safe Banking Act or what they're actually going to be talking more in specifics on that? Um, I can't speak to what, you know, we were trying to kind of nail them down to say, are you going to, what, what, what questions are you specifically trying to get answered? Um, because they're looking at a, a lot of different things. And, you know, the Safe Banking Act provides for a nice start uh, for legislation, um, just kind of for anybody who didn't hear the previous podcast, just kind of get everybody up to speed. The Safe Banking Act would allow financial institutions to provide banking services to well-regulated um, marijuana-related businesses. They would have to do their due diligence. Um, but essentially they could provide the banking services. It would also require the federal regulators to come up with examination procedures. So when they go in and they do examinations of these financial institutions, they have a roadmap of what they need to look for because right now there is nothing. So when they come in and they do an anti-money laundering exam or BSA exam for a financial institution, they have no roadmap to look at how that bank is handling CBD, hemp, or marijuana these days. So it would require them to do that. It would also, you know, whenever we talk about this act, um, you know, some things that we want to see are transparency for the banks and for the marijuana-related businesses. We want to know what is going to have to be collected from these businesses, how we define them, what needs to be done at a federal level. Um, one of the things that the Safe Banking Act does not do a good job of is pull in FinCEN's guidelines that they put out back in 2014, where you know it kind of goes through, if you're going to bank these businesses, these are our expectations for you. And the act doesn't really do that. It doesn't really speak to it. Um, so we, we want to see it move forward um, to include a lot of those expectations, but those expectations kind of say, well, here's kind of what we think, but you interpret this and you figure out how to do it. Well, that's not a good way to do things whenever we are in a very obscure and ambiguous um, area that violates federal law. So uh, we want specifics. Okay, so if we're going to do this, how, you know, how do we define our customers? What do we need to get from them? What kind of due diligence do we need to do? What kind of monitoring do we need to do? What kind of of reporting to the government do we need to do? Um, you know, when would we be required to close an account versus keep it open? Um, you know, we need a lot of specifics. And I, I think I mentioned this maybe previously, but there is a an industry uh, organization called the Emerging Markets Coalition um, that's really pushing forward uh, to, and they're more focused on the, the banking legislation part of it more than the marijuana business side. So they're saying, how can we help really move legislation forward in a smart and intelligent way um, so that we can get legislation that's going to help our banks frame up a very safe and sound practice for, for offering businesses or uh, banking services to these businesses. So that's something that, that we have you know, a lot of passion about um, and they're working towards. Well, you, you know, you nailed a lot of things. It's, it's the these this industry wants to do things right and they want the transparency and i applaud them for that but when it comes to regulatory change in the just the financial sector alone not, not even just cannabis but in period across the board it's always been slow 
And that's one of the things I've always applauded Nacho because they're able to move faster than most of the other agencies as far as making change to regulatory requirements. And, you know, if you, you talked about having that crystal ball earlier. Well, we are recording this before Congress goes to talk and it will be coming out afterwards. And I'm going to go out on the limb and say, I doubt that anything actually comes of it. And here's my reasoning why. Not yet is the key. We are in election year. And unfortunately, politics gets involved at that point in time. And it's not so much, hey, this is what's right to do. It's the political pointing that takes place and who wants to be able to take credit for it becomes difficult at these times in, in the political structure of it. I hope I'm wrong. This is one of those cases where I really hope I'm wrong. And I hope that they do come out there and get something passed. And I hope they also do, like you pointed out, follow those FinCEN guidelines. Those FinCEN guidelines are great and outline, you know, what I would call even just basic stuff of what needs to be done when it comes to banking the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Right. Well, Angela, I think that's enough for one show. I mean, that's a lot to give people to think, uh, think on. And what's really great about it, too, is when the Safe Banking Act does go through Congress, maybe we'll have you back on and see what, you know, was learned from it. But I, I definitely appreciate having you on and want to, you know, extend an invitation for as things change in the industry to get you back out here so that we can keep all of our listeners educated because there's no doubt education is the key in all things electronic banking, definitely in this area. So I do appreciate your time and thank you for having me on the show. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.